This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Balance. I'm Shalisa Bakis. I'm Afia Ba. Hope everyone's doing well, getting ready for, you know, the, the big dinner. The big dinner. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, I, <laughs> I don't know what day it is anymore. I feel like every day is a big dinner for me. <laughs> I want this. I want that. I want oh, okay. Okay. Organized chaos. Let me ask you this then. What are your Thanksgiving must-haves? Must-haves. Okay. Well, the turkey is a must. Like I have to have some type of meat. If I don't, for me, like if I don't have the meat, I'm just like I don't know. I don't know where else to go with my myself. Okay. Um. So I have to have that. Um, you know, the stuffing's not bad, the mashed potatoes not bad, the cranberry sauce not bad, the rolls are not bad. I'm I'm pretty much naming everything on the list at this point. But that's to tell you yeah, that I, I need it all. <laughs> I mean, okay, you can't say stuffing's not bad though, because like if I could just eat a bowl of stuffing, stuffing good. that's it. I don't need anything else. Everyone has their preference. However, like, you know, my dad likes to season the turkey a certain way. Uh-huh. Nobody can do it but him. Mm-hmm. And of course the kitchen's a disaster. <laughs> once he's done yeah we don't talk about what has to happen afterwards exactly the the aftermath i mean i'm glad that we're talking about food Mm -hmm. because we've got the perfect guest to talk about food we're joined by chef devin who is amazing like first of all top tier top tier he's made quite the name for himself on social media and i just want to know how he got to this point yes we want all the all the feels all the goods all the information so what's up Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I love I love your guys' energy. And I can talk about food forever. I have a lot to say yes. about Thanksgiving stuff, but I'll wait till you cue me. <laughs> but I can talk about food forever. So so this is going to be a lot of fun. Like a true professional you know, waits for the cue. You know what I mean? I mean, you could just go and I'll just, I'm just going to be like, okay, keep going. <laughs> like, this is like, like my, my, my Santa Claus at this point. <laughs> Christmas. Christmas. Food, I'm like, fine, Christmas. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dev, this is uh, Caribbean Heritage Month, and you are of Guyanese descent, like me. Holla, represent. Yep, yep, yep. And I feel like you've made such a name for yourself with Guyanese staple dishes on social media, cooking those things and and exposing them to the rest of the world. How has that felt for you? And how did you even start? To be honest with you, I've always been very proud of my my heritage. Always, 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 always since I was a kid. I was raised with a lot of influence at home, whether that's the, the food that we were eating, the music that was played at parties, the type of slang and conversations and stories that were going on in the household. Or, you know, I, I can tell you that as a young kid, I would sit, I'd be the only kid sitting with all my uncles at a table while they were drinking just so I could hear stories about them in Guyana, you know? And I was just really... I was just really enraptured by it. I was just really into it. So I've always been very big. But the thing is, when I got into cooking, I got out of culinary school 09, 2010. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I also didn't know that Guyanese food could hold up a candle or West Indian Caribbean food could hold up a candle to the rest of the cooking in the world, such as classical French, et cetera, et cetera. The stuff I was learning in culinary school. It's only in the past two, three, four years that I've really started to own this road and this lane of showcasing and modernizing not only West Indian food, but East Indian food as well. And by East Indian, I mean South Asian food. I know you're Guyanese and and a lot of people know the history. You know, we do come from South Asia. And I was raised with so much South Asian influence as well, mainly from going to Temple. You know, my crew as a young kid was all Punjabi, right? So, and at Temple too, 
we would have Guyanese people cooking and we'd have Indian, Indian people cooking. So I lean into both in my cooking. But but in recent years, yeah, like with pepper pot and doubles and like, you know, mango curry and katahar and all these things, I'm trying to modernize them. And I'm met with backlash from elders in the Guyanese community every now and then. But that's not going to stop me, okay? Because I want to remain open-minded, creative, and continue to build awareness around our cuisine. So it's not that's not just what I do, but uh, I've been having a lot of fun with it. And the best thing about me doing pepper pot ramen or me putting truffle pecorino into a cheese roll, the best thing about me doing that is that it's me. Like, you can't take that away from me. These are my roots. These are my home. This is the food that I grew up with as a child. This is the food that my grandmother made. So it's a, it's a very fun, comfortable place for me to be. And I want to continue to grow and progress. I, I, I do want to know more about this backlash, though. Like you, I was just going to write, I want to know what the uncles and aunties you know, are saying. coming at you with a broom. Like, she's like, how could you ruin this dish? Or like, what what would you be here? So, so when I like I judge duck curry competitions this year, I go to different Guyanese West Indian events and, and I'm, I meet people constantly in malls and grocery stores on the road at events all the time. 99.9% of that feedback is positive. In fact, I can tell you right now, it would be about 100% of the feedback that I get from the community is, is positive. There are some keyboard trolls, though. Uh, and an example of that is I pinned I pinned the the post to my Instagram is I went into Burgers and Fries Forever in Toronto and I conceptualized and brought to life this pepper pot burger. And what's really exciting about it is that we maintained their smash burger and their bun, but I built up the pepper pot gravy, all the ingredients like the casrip, the cinnamon, the clove, the weary weary, the thyme. All those ingredients are in the sauce that I build out with onions and, and garlic as a base and ginger. And then I glaze the patty with that. And then I take Weary Weary, our, our famous pepper from Guyana, and I, I blitz it through a, a mayonnaise with scallions. So it's it has lettuce and tomato and cheese, but then you have this barbecue pepper pot sauce, pepper pot barbecue sauce and this Weary Weary mayonnaise. And uh, I've done this, I've done pepper pot ramen, I've done a bunch of things like this in the past. People in the community know me as someone who's going to modernize and have fun and, you know, and try to push the envelope a little bit. But yeah, I got comments like, stop bastardizing our national dish. I remember I just posted vegan pepper pot and Guyana's national dish, of course, is pepper pot and it's a meat-based stew. But what good is a national dish if it's not accessible to the entire nation, mm -hmm. right? And this is what I tell people. My mother's vegetarian. So growing up as a kid, getting into the food industry and doing the thousands of events that I've done over my career, I would always make sure that there's a vegetarian component for any vegetarians. And they're always so grateful. Like if you're doing a burger pop-up, we had the Impossible Burger uh, available at BFF. And, and there's many other uh, examples like that. But I always try to make the food accessible. But then I had people come, how, you know, you're making it without cow heel and, and, and you're making it without an oxtail and stuff. This is sacrilegious, you know. And I'm like, you know, I, I really want everyone to be able to experience our beautiful culture. And uh, it's a lot of the older people sometimes and online that they, they, they'll share their opinion where they're just like, yo, this is not broken, so don't fix it. But on the flip side, you have pasta ramen restaurants opening up. You have countless videos where anything will go inside a taco shell. There's constant. I saw a Nihari. Like I spent so much time in Pakistan, right? There's a Nihari pizza, you know, but it's our guy and these people. It's, it's, our, it's our own people. Some of them, a very few of them that don't want to see the modernization, that don't care for the awareness that I'm bringing to the culture. And uh, it's a little bit disheartening, but I don't let it stop me.
And I, I think I, I completely, I understand. I mean, not to the level of chef level, because we ain't there yet. <laughs> but I mean, I'm in my um, culture from, so I'm from Ghana. So I mean, with us, when we have like some of our traditional Which, foods, by the way, gets confused a lot for guys. Diana, <laughs> yes. <laughs> people. Um, but I mean, we have our thing like called jollof rice. And like the moment that you add like a different spice, you're like, no, you can't put that in there. How dare you? And it's just like, other cultures are expanding their cuisines and the, and the palate and how you can sort of modernize it, how to maybe diversify it, how to maybe just change it a little bit, explore the the flavor and the recipe. But it's just like, nope, once you have this, that's all you can do. And it's like, but who says that's all you can do? And you're right. I mean, that backlash is is there and it's present. But I also love that despite the backlash, that there's that overwhelming support to be like, you know what, do your thing. Because you're on, you're on, you're on a road that you know may, many people maybe aren't traveling on, and you're creating a whole, I mean, life in the food, really, and generation. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's my duty and responsibility to showcase and modernize it while paying homage and showing respect to the original traditions, and that's really mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do. Side note: I was on the phone with my best friend Kabir last night in Ghana, and we're planning a trip to Accra. So, like, that's going to happen Amazing. soon. That's another. Can't wait. I'm gonna be gonna be yeah. following up on that. Well, okay, then in that I need to know what you're how you're preparing mm-hmm. to do that trip. Like what are you gonna bring like some Guyanese style to it? Or are you gonna play off of their cultural cooking? Like what do you plan to do? Preliminary conversations right now. We did discuss the fact that anywhere I go now, like anywhere I travel to, there are pop-ups that I'm meeting with other influencers, I'm meeting with other chefs. I hate saying the word influencer sometimes. But I get I get called that so much that sometimes I call myself that. Like I'm a chef. I cook. That's what I do. I don't just put out cooking videos every day. I did during the pandemic, but I'm a chef. Like that that's that's what I am. Uh, but we haven't really discussed too much what's gonna happen. We're gonna go light it up over there. That's no question. I'm gonna go have a lot of fun. Will I be cooking Guyanese food there? I don't see how I wouldn't, because of you know the amount of African influence that is in Guyana. The African, the Portuguese, the Chinese, uh, the Indian. There's so much influences. It's a beautiful melting pot. And of course, the Amerindians who were there. But I'm just going to go have fun and push both cultures. That's most likely what's going to happen. That's it. That's it. We're here for it. Get full. Have all the different (laughs) types of meals that you can. They're going to push food on you like no other. It'll be like, how dare you not eat? wanted to ask, though, how was it when you made that decision to say, I'm going to prepare, I mean, your first sort of Guyanese dish at maybe like maybe one of the major competitions that you decided to go into how was your mindset and going into what did you prepare and then how was it received that you kind of continued that trajectory to where you are now I was going to begin by saying that I don't remember the first time and I'll share a story with you and it may not be the first time that I cooked some proper Guyanese food and put it out on social but it's a damn good example of what I'm doing today Uh, about five or six years ago at Christmas time over the years, I've been making pepper pot, Guyana's national dish. And it's a, it's a tricky dish to make. It's a, it's a balance of a very bitter ingredient with a whole bunch of other ingredients. It's very festive. Uh, it's a very unique dish. There's nothing that tastes like it anywhere else in the world. So eating this thing as a kid, growing up with it, I started to, to make it myself. I remember my aunt came over many years ago. And fast forward to about five years ago, I made about 30 or 40 pounds of it in the two largest pots that were in my house. And I put it on Facebook and I'm assuming I put it on Instagram too, but I remember, I think it was Facebook that was more active, but I basically said anybody that wants to try Guyana's national dish pepper pot, because I was so excited by it. And I was so excited that I kind of cracked the code on how to make it. I literally had strangers coming to my house to pick up a little half liter of 500 ml of pepper pot 
And then I brought, I bought a bunch of plat bread, the weaved bread that's traditionally toasted and served with it. And I sliced it and I saran wrapped it and I had strangers. I mean, a lot of people I did know, but I did have a handful of people that I never met before, gave them my address and I had them coming to sample this food. So that's probably one of the first experiences that I can remember that was impactful for both me and the person enjoying the food or experiencing the food, where I really started to like fall into this lane of becoming an ambassador to this type of food. And again, I want to make it clear, like I'm, I'm classically trained. Uh, I've cooked really all over the world and I will continue to over the winter. I do so many different types of food. But when I actually decided to own the lane of, of being an ambassador to this cuisine and stuff, it was probably about three years ago. And it was something that was suggested to me by a mentor of mine even prior to that. I just didn't see how I could make it work. I think what made it work is me being genuine, authentic, me modernizing it, showing the chef skills around it, and also just continuing to push the envelope and like work as hard as possible and stay very active in the community. So I think all those things contributed. I'm still kind of figuring things out, to be honest with you. Well, aren't we all? Yeah, we really are. And it, <laughs> it's just been such a journey. And I just like watching your videos. I just I feel proud to see that type of cuisine and somebody who mm -hmm. looks like me like represented. And like I said, it is Caribbean Heritage Month. So tell us a little bit about representation, because I'm sure that has a lot to do with your inspiration as to why you do what you do. You know, I've done quite a few talks on representation recently. I was invited to uh, Unilever to speak on a panel talking about uh, the Caribbean and representation and my experience with it. I was also um, brought out to the Federal Home Loan Bank of New York to join a panel, one of two panelists to talk about this as well. I mean, it's, 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 it's a mouthful, it's a lot to discuss. I wouldn't feel 100% if I didn't mention that like being of Caribbean descent, being of Guyanese descent more specifically, like there's a really past there. You know, we essentially ended up in the 1850s when the British were colonizing India and then slavery was being abolished. They kind of made it look pretty that, hey, we're going to grab you from India. Go work in this plantation in a nice tropical place. We're going to give you a plot of land, pay you well, blah, 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 blah. That obviously wasn't the case. I believe with all the research that I've done and the people I've spoken to, it was just kind of slavery continued. So we come from that past. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of pain. Uh, there's displacement. There's isolation. There's families being separated. There's people not even making the travel across the water. There's a lot of pain there. I don't like to get too much into it, but it's important that I mention that. So fast forward to today, and it's like the representation for me means a lot to me. Uh, it's something I want to be very proud of today. I want to continue putting my best foot forward. And if I represent this culture, then I want to make sure that I'm a good person to do that. You know what I mean? I want to make sure that I'm I'm not behaving bad. That's a that's a nicer way of saying some 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 things that I wanted to say. Like I'm 28 months sober now from like drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. And and uh, I just want to set a better example for everyone out there. There's not a lot of brown chefs that you see on social media doing what I'm doing, cooking in Pakistan, cooking in Scotland, cooking all over the world, doing pop ups everywhere in commercials, billboards, magazine covers, all kinds of stuff like that. There's not a lot of people doing it. And it's not something that I take lightly. So in terms of like representing the community, I just want to make sure I'm doing a good job of it. And I think I, for one, think you're doing a great job. So A plus to you, like kudos to you, applause to you. Like we appreciate it. As a community, I can say that we appreciate it. And we're going to switch gears a little bit. We've talked about Thanksgiving right off the top. So yes. walk us through <laughs> how Chef Dev would prepare Thanksgiving dinner. 
I thought you would never ask. <laughs> First thing, if you are not brining your turkey, you're wasting your time. Now, brining proteins is essentially we're putting them into a salt water solution. This is going to basically like the, the easiest non-scientific way that I can explain this is that we're going to open up the pores. And while it's open, it's going to rehydrate. And it's rehydrating with that salt as well, which is adding flavor. If you take a whole chicken and you put it on a scale and you take a whole chicken and you put it into a brine for maybe two hours or even 12 hours, when you put the brine one on the scale, it's going to weigh more than it originally did because of that water retention. So what does this mean? It means that we're going to get a juicier end product and a more tender end product. And I think third and most importantly, we're going to extend our margin of error because, you know, we have a 20 pound turkey. It gets chucked in the oven for three and a half, four hours in some cases, right? So that extra 30 minutes or 20 minutes or hour of cooking time that it doesn't necessarily need. If you have a brine turkey, you have more room for error. Okay, so first step is to brine your turkey for those reasons. I used to do all these events at the showroom in Toronto, and uh, they'd get me to do the Thanksgiving dinners. And I did what I call jerky. So it's a jerk turkey. Mm. And what I love about it is that jerky. Bless your soul. <laughs> so I would brine it. And then you'd also throw in aromatics into your brine, like allspice berries, like thyme, like scotch bonnet, like garlic, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you can flavor that brine however you like. So obviously we're going to use it with complementary flavors of the jerk seasoning. But I used to do this jerky, I would call it. So it's jerk turkey. Another good thing about jerk turkey too is that if you have an oven that, or if the bird's too big for the oven and the heat doesn't rotate properly, you don't get beautiful coloring. Whereas a jerk turkey, super dark brown, dark encrusted and it's gorgeous. Um, it also, that marinade helps you keep all that moisture in there and then it just seeps in and, and you get a lot of flavor. So that's one thing. Um, when I think of Thanksgiving, I'm thinking of turkey, I'm thinking of stuffing, and I'm thinking of rosemary vanilla cranberries, which is something that's really fun. It's as easy as just putting a half teaspoon or teaspoon of beautiful Madagascar bourbon vanilla couple sprigs of rosemary. It's a gorgeous thing. Of course, we're still doing orange zest, a bit of fresh orange juice, et cetera, et cetera. I like a lot of garlic in there too. Um, I want a really fun stuffing. And the stuffing, I'll always do like a sausage and Granny Smith apple. Of, and then you're going to have tons of herbs. So I have so many herbs here. I'm actually at my parents' house right now. They have a huge herb garden. So we're adding a lot of sage, a lot of thyme, a lot of parsley, um, a lot of freshness and, and herbaceousness and vibrant chives are running through that as well. Uh, with the mashed potatoes, it's probably like equal parts clarified butter or butter to mashed potatoes. Essentially, we take our mashed potatoes and we boil them till they're tender. And then we take them and we add them to a food processor. And as we start to blend it, we're just going to slowly drizzle in butter. It gives you the smoothest, softiest, silkiest mashed potatoes ever. Like you want to put it on your toothbrush. It's unbelievable. <laughs> we have stuffing. We have our mashed potatoes. We have our turkey. Uh, and then, yeah, just vegetable sides. I loved grilled greens. So whether that's a grilled romaine salad or grilled rapini or grilled Swiss chard, I really like getting that char and those crispy bits and that uh, that flavor profile on, on the greens. So a whole bunch of fun, fun sides. Uh, and then for dessert, yeah, we can do some classic stuff. I do enjoy dessert, but it's like I'm really trying to be good these days and not Eat too much sweet stuff you know those ghetto pumpkin pies i call them ghetto but you know those like lackluster ten dollar pumpkin pies that you see a stack of like five thousand at the grocery yeah, yeah. store mm -hmm. uh, there's a nostalgia with that that comes to when i was a small child eating it with the with the boring crust i love it i love it so much 
I was going to ask if you had like, you know, an elevated pumpkin pie recipe, but I mean, hey, if you don't, you don't mess with a classic. You... Yeah. <laughs> it ain't broke. Some... Exactly. I've done some cool stuff in the past, but something I would do is introduce alcohol into it. That can come in the in the form of bourbon. It can also come in the form of like having more fun with the creamy earthy notes like Bailey's or Kahlua. I would definitely get that into there. I would also take it and make it into more of a tart form instead of a large piece. So it'd be more of a single portion. And then we would dust it with sugar and glaze it like creme brulee style. That would be a lot of fun. Or you can even put meringue on it and torch it and light it on fire baked Alaska style. So there's a lot that you can do with it to elevate it. Man. Are you hungry yet? <laughs> Just like calculating all of the different ways that I could have the food. Um, you were talking about some red flags in terms of, um, I mean, for the Thanksgiving, you you alluded to one, a major one, which is if you're not brining the bird, I mean, there's a problem. What other uh, red flags would you say in terms of prepping for these type of dinners? Uh, I'll give you another one right off the top, uh, which is not having enough moisture in your stuffing. Now, are we doing stuffing in the bird or stuffing on the side, you know, and let's say we're doing it on the side. I find a lot of times people don't get enough stock into their stuffing. Um, there's another example of this, and I'm going to give it to you. Stay with me. Stay with me here. When we're making mac and cheese, we're going to build out our cheese. A lot of people just melt cheese, but, you know, we have a roux with milk, bechamel with our cheese, technically a mornay. So we have our cheese sauce. We have our cooked pasta. We put the two together. A great tip is to add more, stay with me. A great tip is to add more cheese into this. So when you bake it, it gets stringy when you pull it apart. That's a trick. So you add grated cheese into the cheese sauce with the pasta. One thing that a lot of people won't do is I'll add more milk at this point. You can use water, but I'll add more milk to this. Why? Because when we transfer it to our dish and we bake it, the pasta sets more, more starch is released. It absorbs more. It gets a lot thicker. That's why a lot of times you'll have a macaroni pie or a baked mac and cheese and it's super dense and it's not creamy and luscious. Take that analogy and take that process of thinking and now let's transfer it to the stuffing. If our stuffing is a little bit moist when we go to bake it, in the oven, all that dry heat, the bread just soaks up so much more moisture and then you get this like cake-like texture. Yeah. Now I don't like stuffing that's wet or saucy, but I like stuffing that's really moist, you know? And to get that, you need to make it a little bit more moist before you bake it. A little bit more moist than you think you would need to before baking it. Same with the mac and cheese. If I have the consistency of mac and cheese that I want prior to baking it, it's not going to be that way when it comes out. It needs to be wetter than it needs to be so that when I go to bake it, it comes out. So dry stuffing is like a huge red flag for me. And that's a whole analogy on how you can avoid it. Well, there you go. And I just want to shout out to everybody who's listening. Like we're on Zoom with, with Chef Dev right now. And he just did the whole flick of the wrist <laughs> thing. And it was just like a true chef. <laughs> I just had to slide that in there. <laughs> All right. So uh, moist. You need more moisture when you're making the stuffing. Uh, the brine has got to be there for the bird people. Like if, if you don't take anything away from this, the brine, the brine, the brine. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have had way too many dry birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I got another huge tip for you. Tell us. <laughs> Give it to us. This ties into a little bit of the modernization that I was saying before. And where I'm going with this is if you break down your turkey and don't cook it whole, then you get a much better cook because you can cook the breasts and you can cook the legs at different temperatures. The breast is always going to cook faster than the legs will. So if you break it down and serve it separately, all you lose is that visual of that bird going to the table whole. That's the move right there. Ooh, all, all I, the thank you. Great. 
Literally. I love that. And I I mean, I think that would tie into something that I just wanted to ask now too. What if this is somebody that's trying to tackle the dinner for the first time? I mean, Don't and they're, they're kind of feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I say that and, and countless people around the world will, will attempt to tackle Thanksgiving dinner for the first time. I do have a tip there too. And that is get as absolutely much as possible done the day before. As a caterer, as a chef, as someone who's always cooking and like cooking live and like always on the fly, like I do so much live work, I do so much demos. I'm always thinking through my head as soon as I get there, what's the first step that I do? And I go through the entire event. Anything that could be done ahead of time, something as simple as having a jar and taking the plastic off the lid. Things like that are all steps. Those are all moves. Having all my broccoli broken down and blanched, these are all things I can do the day before. I can have my gravy done the day before. Cranberry can be done the day before. There's no problem with cooking something the day before and having it taste better the next day, adjusting it with water for consistency and pinch of salt and splash of lemon juice if you need to bring it back to life. But over a day, you would need to do that. So a tip for anybody doing this, please do everything the day before. Uh, and also don't be afraid to ask for help. A lot of people want to do things by themselves, delegate a little bit. I mean, I work with George Brown students and stuff like that. And, and just me having someone with me for those few hours makes all the difference. A lot of people don't believe me. Like with the amount of cooking that I do, I wash a lot of dishes. You know, I have a lot of events where I have dishwashers and I have events where I have staff. But there's a lot of times with the kind of work that I do, I'm traveling with a suitcase or a bus bin to do a demonstration. I, I have to do the dishes. Right. So ask for help, ask for help and get walk through your entire prep and get everything done. I would even have things loaded on baking trays, on parchment, ready to fire. Get Oh, another huge tip. So many tips today. <laughs> I love it. We're here for it. Right. Temper your food, whether you're brining the turkey or not. You do not pull that turkey out of the oven. Uh, sorry, out of the fridge and put it into the oven. The amount of extra time that the heat is going to need to penetrate through that cold skin into the cavity is going to take so much longer. You might have heard this before. Bring steaks to room temperature or temper them prior to cooking. That's a huge tip. So I'll temper everything. I'll, I'll pull the cranberries out. I'll pull the stuffing out. I'll pull everything out and temper it. So when it's ready to flash, it's going to take that much less time to do it. Love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm hungry. All right. I need something to eat right now, Dev. But before... We let you go. What's up for you? What's next for you? And what is the next big step that you want to take in your career? Yeah, no, great questions. Uh, I'm so happy to be here discussing this. Cookbook's coming out in May. It's been close to two years in the making. This cookbook, the majority of recipes are Guyanese. And when I say majority, out of like 100 recipes, like maybe 25 to 30 are Guyanese. There's a lot of desi cuisine in there as well, because of course I'm trying to showcase and modernize not only West, but East Indian cuisine as well. That's also tells my story coming from South Asia, right? It's like from South Asia to the Caribbean is written on the front of the book. That's really exciting. And another thing that I want to share on that too, is that if I didn't settle and get comfortable and explore and take risks in this lane of being an ambassador to West Indian Caribbean food and, and nestling into this lane of uh, being a representative for South Asian cuisine, my cookbook wouldn't have had the right theme. And it's something like I didn't try to strategize and, and, and hone in on this lane because the cookbook was coming. It just kind of happened organically. Like, for example, if I wrote this cookbook five years ago, it would be straight world inspired. It'd be missing kind of that theme. It'd be missing that backbone, that fundamental pillar. It'd be missing that. Like when you read my cookbook and you read through it, you'll understand Devin's representing the Caribbean. He's telling a story about how they came from here and there, blah, blah, blah. So 
that's really important. So the cookbook's a huge one. I fly out Thursday. I just got back from Mexico. I was cooking Guyanese seven curry for 200 people in San Miguel. It was amazing. Of course, we did Pakistan this year. I was cooking on the cruise ship carnival throughout the Caribbean for, for a week. I um, mean, you know, I was in Nashville. The Tennessee Tourism Board brought me out there to, to explore as much as I could and experience it and post it. I've been on the road, it feels like, all year. I have a pop-up in New York in October. The details are hitting Instagram soon in Little Guyana. Uh, I'm off to Orlando. I'm back to Mexico. I'm going to Trinidad in Feb, Guyana in March. Like, I'm rolling out hard. I want to continue to build the brand abroad, uh, continue to establish myself as a chef with no boundaries, a global chef, an international chef, continue to pop up everywhere. And there's, uh, there's a couple massive things that are slated for spring of next year that I can't talk about. I'm learning to just be a little bit more patient. There's no need for me to blurt everything out all the time. Like if you're following me, I appreciate it. I'll continue to do my best to inspire and lead by example and uh, just enjoy the ride. There's some cool stuff coming and I can't wait to share it with the world. Well, we're definitely, we I it. know we're so oh. excited. And if our listeners want to follow you and follow along with your journeys, where can they go? Yeah. At Chef Devin, D-E-V-A-N. And on that note, I can't tell you the amount of times that people stop me in the streets. Hey, Chef Devon, Chef Devon. You know, it's it's Devin, right? It's Devin. Yeah. Because a lot of people just know me as Chef Dev and they see the A and they're like, you know, that's on Instagram and TikTok. I'm Chef Devin official on YouTube. And uh, if you need to get a hold of me, probably the best way you can slide on into the old DMs. But uh, for something a little bit more formal and professional, info at chefdev.ca. We get back to you really quickly. Indeed you do. <laughs> Chef Dev, good luck with everything. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Caribbean Heritage Month. Thank you Thank so you. much for joining us. I'm hungry. I'm running to the fridge. Find <laughs> your turkey. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.